Welcome to Come Follow Me, Deep Dive. This podcast takes a chapter-by-chapter approach to the scriptures that are assigned by the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. My name is Barry Hillam, and I hope that this podcast will be a benefit to you. Please consider sharing it with family and friends and submitting a review on iTunes. In each episode, you will hear introductory remarks, a short flyover summary of the scriptural chapter in question, followed by a verse-by-verse reading that is supplemented with commentary from parallel passages of scripture and from modern-day prophets. You might consider adjusting the playback speed in your favorite podcast player. With that, I'm glad you're with me. Let's get started. Third Nephi, chapter 30. Well, as Mormon concludes the book of Third Nephi in its final two chapters, he repeats two critical messages that were given earlier in the book by the Savior. First, in chapter 29, Mormon echoed the Savior's words from Third Nephi chapter 21, where the Savior taught that the coming forth of the record will be the sign of the great gathering of Israel in the latter days. In other words, the fulfilling of the covenant, to use that phrase that was first introduced in chapter 15 of Third Nephi. Second, in this chapter, Third Nephi chapter 30, Mormon will offer a final invitation from the Savior. As Ogden and Skinner have expressed it, the prophet Mormon recorded the words of Jesus Christ, commanding Latter-day societies to abandon all their sins. He gave a graphic and comprehensive list, and come unto Christ in order to be numbered among the house of Israel, God's covenant people. Well, we can see that as Mormon does quote the Savior in this way in 3 Nephi chapter 30, he creates a beautiful symmetry with the Savior's first message when he first began to speak to the people in 3 Nephi chapter 9. At that time, he spoke as a voice that penetrated the darkness. And he said in verses 13 and 14, O all ye that are spared, because you are more righteous than they. Will ye not now return unto me, and repent of your sins, and be converted, that I may heal you? Yea, verily I say unto you, If ye will come unto me, ye shall have eternal life. Behold, mine arm of mercy is extended towards you, and whosoever will come, him will I receive. And blessed are those who come unto me. With this, we can see that the invitation at the beginning of the Savior's teachings, if we consider them as having begun in chapter 9 of 3 Nephi, and then extending all the way to Mormon's quotation of the Savior in chapter 30, is essentially the same. Their book ended with the same statement. And it is to turn to the Lord and repent. This injunction to repent is not a pejorative. It is fundamentally liberating, in fact. Despite the listing of sins that we will survey in verse 2 of this chapter, any invitation from the Lord to repent is also an acknowledgement that He has paved the way to make the change possible in the first place. And He isn't only referring to the actuating change that we make when we turn to Him. That is only the first change of repentance, the widow's might in the equation, if you will. The second mighty change is the one that comes from Him, when we open the floodgates of his transforming power by exercising faith unto repentance. That we may receive a remission of our sins and be numbered with the house of Israel, as the end of verse 2 will express it, is a prospect that takes repentance far beyond the usual conceptual realm to which it is relegated, that of miserable behavior modification, as Elder Renland recently put it. 
Instead, we can think of repentance as the opening motif of the gospel melody. It's the same clarion call that sounds from the trumpet of all his messengers. And Mormon is principal among them, as he quotes the Redeemer in this final verse of 3 Nephi. He beckons all who are burdened by sin, all who are still tenuously holding to the hope that they are made of something more, that they belong in a better place than this strange land of mortality, that a world of light might just possibly await, one that is illuminated by the great tree of life at its center. As our journey through the book of 3 Nephi comes to an end then, let us turn our grateful hearts to the Redeemer. Let us renew our resolve to repent and walk the straight path that he has made plain before us. Well, this is a two-verse chapter. In verse 1, we'll see that Mormon is quoting the Savior and that he is directing his final statement to the Gentiles. Then in verse 2, we're getting the words of the Savior here. And he provides the way for the Gentiles to become numbered with the house of Israel. It's to turn or repent and to come unto him. He says, covenant with me in this and then to be baptized for a remission of sins and to receive the Holy Ghost. Verse 1, Hearken, O ye Gentiles, and hear the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, which he hath commanded me that I should speak unto you. For behold, he commandeth me that I should write, saying... And here we might be seeing the third instance in just a few chapters of where Mormon is being directed as to what he should include in his record. He's telling us very clearly that he was commanded to end the book of 3 Nephi this way. So, of course, we should ask ourselves, why? Why is this the final expression in the book of 3 Nephi? President Russell M. Nelson has said to hearken, and notice that that is the very opening word of this chapter, is to attend, to regard, to give heed to what is uttered, to observe or obey. Above all, God's children should learn to listen, then listen to learn from the Lord. Scriptures recorded in all dispensations teach that we show our love of God as we hearken to his commandments and obey them. These actions are closely connected. In fact, the Hebrew language of the Old Testament in most instances uses the same term for both hearkening to the Lord and obedience to his word. So that's the verb that begins the first verse. Now here's the verb that begins the second. Turn, all ye Gentiles, from your wicked ways. So turn and repent of your evil doings. So turn and repent are very similar concepts, of course, and in a way, this reflects a style of Hebrew parallelism. Turn, all ye Gentiles, from your wicked ways, and repent of your evil doings, of your lyings and deceivings, and of your whoredoms, and of your secret combinations, and your idolatries, and of your murders, and of your priestcrafts, and your envyings, and your strifes, and from all your wickedness and abominations, and come unto me. And be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins. And be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. So again, this is not just punitive language. This goes beyond just a list of grievances or a list of prohibitions or things that Latter-day readers must refrain from. This is more than an invitation to modify miserable behavior. Once again, to quote from Elder Renland, this is an invitation to be healed to repent fully, to come unto him, to be changed, to be filled with the Holy Ghost and numbered among the house of Israel. There's great hope and potential transformation in this prospect. The Book of Mormon Institute manual says, at the conclusion of the Savior's visit among the Nephites, Mormon returned to what was a major theme of the Lord's instructions among the people. 
that in the last days the Gentiles will reject the teachings of the Lord and grow rapidly in wickedness to their destruction. So there is prophecy of that in 3 Nephi chapter 16 and also chapter 21. The writings in 3 Nephi seem to have had a profound effect upon Mormon. In his final testimony, Mormon revisited the Savior's teachings and prophecies condemning the wicked and perverse and the pollutions and hypocrisies of the last days. In the last verses of 3 Nephi, Mormon offered the only antidote to these destructive conditions. Come unto Jesus Christ and have faith in him. Repent of your sins, be baptized, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. There's, I think, a lot of great insight into that commentary. There's a solution that is being offered in this last verse of the book of 3 Nephi. But it's a solution to a problem that is not always acknowledged today. Yet it is the core problem of societal decline. It is when we turn from the Savior and turn towards wicked ways. It's when we're guilty of evil doings, lyings, deceivings, whoredoms, secret abominations, murders, priestcrafts, envying, strifes, wickedness, and abominations. So things that cause moral decay in society, we might say. That's the problem. It's a problem that Mormon is all too aware of, and it's a problem, of course, that we can see in our day. So very simply expressed, the solution to this problem is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that's what's being taught in this final verse of Third Nephi. As we consider the tone that Mormon takes here at the very end and that the Savior takes in these final words, this strong warning and these curses upon the wicked, Hugh Nibley has written in his teachings of the Book of Mormon, in many ancient Near Eastern covenant or treaty documents, it's appropriate to end with a number of woes. Woe to people who don't live up worthily to these things. Woe to those who spurn the works of God. Woe to those who deny the revelations of God. And of course, that comment by Brother Nibley corresponds well with the woes that were pronounced in the previous chapter. But since we're coming to the very end of Mormon's writings, it works well here, too. With respect to the blessings that are intimated at the end of this chapter, Alexander B. Morrison has written, The prophets proclaim that all men and women, if they are to achieve true happiness, must come unto Christ and be perfected in him. That's Moroni chapter 10, verse 32, that Elder Morrison is quoting from. Indeed, that is the very purpose of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, to invite, encourage, and assist all of God's children, both living and dead, to come to Christ that ye may receive a remission of your sins and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. That is why we do missionary work. For a few final thoughts on the gathering of Israel, President Spencer W. Kimball once taught, and this is found in teachings of Spencer W. Kimball, the gathering of Israel consists of joining the true church and their coming to a knowledge of the true God. Any person, therefore, who has accepted the restored gospel and who now seeks to worship the Lord in his own tongue and with the saints in the nation where he lives, has complied with the law of the gathering of Israel and is heir to all of the blessings promised the saints in these last days. So, of course, this is addressing a question that is not dealt with directly in the text here, but it is elsewhere. And whenever we think of the gathering of Israel, we do wonder as to the meaning of it. Is it a physical gathering or is it predominantly a spiritual gathering? So, President Kimball is answering that question there. Here's something else that addresses this question, and this is from President Harold B. Lee. He said at the Mexico City Area Conference last August, Elder Bruce R. McConkie of the Quorum of the Twelve made some comments pertinent to this subject, and I quote a few sentences from his address. Said Elder McConkie, The gathering of Israel consists of joining the true church, 
of coming to a knowledge of the true God and of his saving truths, and of worshiping him in the congregations of the saints in all nations and among all peoples. Please note that these revealed words speak of the folds of the Lord, of Israel being gathered to the lands of their inheritance, of Israel being established in all their lands of promise, and of their being congregations of the covenant people of the Lord in every nation, speaking every tongue, and among every people where the Lord comes again. So that paints a broad and beautiful picture of the gathering that today, in this final dispensation, really is all about us. The Book of Mormon is the primary instrument of this gathering. Of course, we talked about that in the previous chapter. Here, we see this gathering as the consequence of each individual who reads this book, this instrument of the gathering, being that they join the House of Israel, wherever they are throughout the world, and that by so doing, they are facilitating this great gathering. The antidote for the true ills that lie at the root of any declining society are expressed so well here in verse 2. And again, that would have meant so much to Mormon, and it does indeed mean so much to us. We can relate with such things. So this antidote, once again, is expressed in this final way in verse 2. Come unto me, and be baptized in my name, that ye may receive a remission of your sins, and be filled with the Holy Ghost, that ye may be numbered with my people who are of the house of Israel. Come unto me is such a beautiful expression. It sounds a bit like, take my yoke upon you, and many other such expressions that the Savior made in the New Testament. But here, this statement of coming unto me is inextricably tied to entering into a covenant relationship with the Savior. That's the key to the gathering of Israel. Well, as we have now come to the end of this great book, the book of Third Nephi, and we contemplate what comes next as we turn the page, we know that we'll move into Fourth Nephi, and now that the Savior has ascended back into heaven, Nephite society now has the task of moving forward and rebuilding what was destroyed in Third Nephi chapter 8 and creating a better society than what we read of in Third Nephi chapter 7 that was so fractionalized and tribal. So we're about to see how this rebuilding occurs in 4th Nephi. We'll see specific markers that are in place during this golden era which is to come, where the love of God abounds in the hearts of all the people and that there's no contention among them. They're all converted, and this will last for some time, as we know, as per the prophecies of the Savior. We read of those very recently towards the end of 3rd Nephi chapter 27. Then, as 4th Nephi continues, we'll read about the downfall of society, and we'll see the markers that show such a downfall. So we will learn a great deal from 4th Nephi, and we have all of that to look forward to. But now, of course, as we look back upon the book of 3rd Nephi and consider all it is that we have taken in, we end this with a great sense of gratitude towards the Savior and his teachings. It's a marvelous and miraculous book indeed. So, this brings us to the end of 3rd Nephi, chapter 30. Thank you for listening to Come Follow Me Deep Dive. This podcast has recently reached 100,000 listens and has been heard in many parts of the world. I love hearing from you. If you have the time to reach out to me, as many of you have, to share episodes on social media, and to write a review on iTunes, You will greatly help my efforts to get this podcast to even more listeners and help them in their experience with the Come Follow Me curriculum. I want to acknowledge the resources that have helped me prepare this and previous episodes of this podcast. The Book of Mormon Institute Manual, K-1, 
Kelly Ogden and Andrew Skinner's verse-by-verse commentary on the Book of Mormon, and the revised edition of Thomas Arvaleta's Book of Mormon Study Guide have provided me with rich and insightful commentary. Introductions, chapter analyses, and sectional divisions are my own. Parallel passages of scripture, as well as general conference addresses that come to mind, also play a prominent role in this podcast, as do my own thoughts and writings. For them, and any errors that you find in them, I, of course, am solely responsible. I hope that this podcast has had the effect of drawing you to the scriptural text. A text that is endlessly rich with detail and generously adorned with truths that help us navigate through our own exile story and mortality. I have found, and hope that you have too, that carefully studying the Word, particularly in the Book of Mormon, has the inevitable benefit of drawing us closer to its author, Jesus the Christ. I offer my witness that His attention is fixed upon us. He delights to bless us and to honor our efforts to come to know Him better. So, have a wonderful day. Keep in touch, and thank you for listening.